Welcome to Navigating the Spectrum with Michelle Portlock. I'm your host, Michelle Portlock, and I'm so happy that you decided to join me today. Today, I am interviewing a very, very special guest, one of my most favorite people in the entire world, my dad, Doug Nelson. Um, Doug has been practicing law for 45 plus years. His practice emphasizes education and estate planning, which includes helping families care for their children with additional needs. So I wanted my dad to come on here and talk about estate planning considerations for families with special needs, because life can be more complicated for families who have loved ones with special needs arising from a specific disability. And many autistic people are reasonably self-reliant, have employment, and are nevertheless socially or financially vulnerable. While estate planning can be a daunting task for any family, those who have loved ones with a disability have an added complexity. Such families often wonder what will happen when the primary caregiver is gone or unable to help. Common concerns for their loved ones may include, where will my child live? Who will make sure that they are well cared for? What services will be available for them? How will these services be paid for? And who will manage assets that are available for my loved one? Families in these circumstances should engage with a qualified estate planner. So today we will be visiting with such a planner. Dad, also known as Doug Nelson, thank you for joining me today. Well, you're welcome, Michelle. You know, developing a good plan, which considers the needs of disabled or vulnerable family members, requires more than document drafting skills. Good planning also requires the ability to navigate the often confusing rules of government benefit eligibility, healthcare providers, therapies, and services that will be available for the disabled family member. So as a parent, raising two children with autism, uh, I often feel some anxiety when I think about creating this process. So I'm wondering, and sometimes parents put this off too. They don't want to, they don't want to tap into this estate planning um, because it causes anxiety. So are there any tips that you can share that might help us get started on the right track? I think the best starting point is to prepare a care letter. Some planners call these letters of intent, but this letter is intended to inform future caregivers and attorneys or trustees or guardians and advocates about your loved one's functional abilities, their routines, their interests, their likes and their dislikes. It's not a legal document. Rather, it's intended to be like a practical roadmap. A good test for the quality of this letter is whether it passes what I call the babysitter list test. (laughs) You know, that's that list that you leave on the fridge when you're gone for a few days for your babysitter. And your care letter then often includes information regarding everything that needs to happen for those kids while they're Mm -hmm. gone. But in this case, when you're dealing with a disabled person, That information also includes diagnoses, therapy histories, special health concerns. It should be particular to your loved one. Mm -hmm. 
and often contains advice on what's been successful and what hasn't been. The best letters are usually written in a conversational tone and they're updated regularly. Remember this, this letter may be your best, if not your only opportunity to share this important information when you're gone or unable to communicate. So important information that may be common knowledge to you should be included because it won't be common knowledge to them. Things like where are important records stored, such as birth certificates, social security cards, health histories. Who is the family attorney or the accountant and the insurance agent? Who are the friends and family that have a good relationship with your incapacitated loved one? Who's your pastor or your church leader? Where are copies of your will and trust and other legal documents kept? Do you have family photo albums or histories and where are they located? Are there particular items that have a special meaning to your loved one? Is there a pet involved and how important is that pet to your incapacitated loved one? Where are records relating to your family members benefits? Who should be contacted in the event of your death or the death of your disabled family member? And one that has emerged more and more frequently, where is your list of passwords for access to your accounts and your records? If that password list dies with you, it may be very difficult, if not impossible, to recreate access to some of those important things. Well, that's a good step for me to remember because I'm terrible with my passwords. So that's that's important. What I like about what you shared, it kind of feels like um, just parents taking the time to get organized. We're just getting ourselves organized, getting information organized so that it's easier to access. I like the thought of breaking it down um, into a place of organization. For me, that makes sense. So, And it is important for your planner to understand those letters, the, the points that you have in your letter in order for the plan to be effectively documented. Okay. That also, that makes sense too. So what are some of the important steps in implementing a care letter? Well, certainly the selection of the successor care provider. Mm. identifying and informing the guardians or the conservators or the trustees who will serve your family member is critically important. Remember, no one person needs to wear all hats. Someone who is an exceptional mm -hmm. caregiver may not have financial management skills mm -hmm. and a good financial planner may not be equipped with the best skills to provide the actual care. So selecting who helps and what their role will be is very critical. I like that you bring that up because I didn't actually realize before we started this conversation that you could have a different people over different aspects of your child's plan. You have it now. You can have it after you're dead if you'd carefully plan. <laughs> that's that's good to know. So what do legal documents should we, should we be considering? Generally speaking, the most common and essential document 
is a special needs trust, okay. sometimes abbreviated SNT in the literature, special needs trust. It's created for a beneficiary with a disability. This specialized trust allows assets that family members and friends contribute to the trust to pay for goods or services that are in the beneficiary's best interest mm -hmm. and at the same time maintains the beneficiary's eligibility for various governmental assistance programs such as Medicaid and SSI, Supplemental Security Income. Okay. Also, uh, money isn't the sole issue in deciding to establish a special needs trust. For example, some residential facilities and some special programs actually require that the participant be, participant be eligible for government benefits, even if these other resources are available to them. The special needs trust should also authorize the trustee to hire care managers or advocates and other professionals who can guide the trustee on expenditure of funds. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to remember also that court appointed guardians and conservators that, that are appointed, if you just have a simple will and no special needs trust, those guardians and conservators typically require court supervision and periodic reports that they make and have to give back to the court. And those can be expensive mm -hmm. and time consuming. So it's recommended to set up a special needs trust during your lifetime, have it operating, rather than just include it in your will and testament. A testamentary trust like that that's just in your will takes time to fully initiate after your death and will likely require court supervision. That's really good information. I'm glad that you shared that with us because I actually did not know that. So a really important question is how much of a parent's resources, how much should I set aside for my child with additional needs? Well, I'll give you a good, like, good uh, lawyer-like uh, explanation. It depends. <laughs> Uh, but what you really need to do is calculate how much should be left to the special needs trust for the beneficiary uh, who has a disability. Mm -hmm. You know, consider your beneficiary's current needs and lifestyle and how much money will be ideal to support it. And of course, that calculation can include government benefits that are that they're currently receiving. Okay. But your calculation may be uh, more or less than your other beneficiaries will receive. You know, once you've determined the amount, yeah, be careful not to overfund the trust. For example, if your family is wealthy, consider capping the amount that's left to the special needs trust. Or maybe provide a sprinkling provision in that trust that allows the trustee to sprinkle out other benefits to other family members. If you have less uh, resources, uh, perhaps you should consider funding that trust with the proceeds from a life insurance policy that distributes directly to the trust so that there will be adequate resources for that disabled beneficiary. 
Well, I like that you broke that down because I feel like this is information that quite honestly, I'll be replaying this and I'll have a notepad and pen in hand and I'll be taking notes um, so that I can do this properly for my own children in the future. So does it matter what assets are used to fund a social security? I mean, excuse me, a special needs trust? Well, a special needs trust can receive a lot of different assets. For example, uh, one type of asset that often goes in a special needs trust is a home or a condominium, one that the special needs person is familiar with. And the special needs trust can then have other resources that pay for the costs of maintaining that home so that there's always a place for that person to live. Mm -hmm. uh, other types of assets uh, can be uh, broadly considered. The one area to avoid, if possible, is do not fund a special needs trust with retirement account okay. money. Retirement accounts from qualified plans like 401ks and IRAs, they have their own set of special planning considerations, which make them less than an ideal method of funding a special needs trust. Okay. For this reason, this should be avoided where possible. Mm -hmm. But if you need to fund the special needs trust with retirement assets because there isn't much else, then it is essential that the special needs trust be set up to qualify as a designated beneficiary and that care is taken in designating who receives the trust assets upon the death of your disabled family member. All of that gets pretty technical quickly. So you'll need to take special care in selecting the language that you provide to designate the beneficiary of any retirement plan assets that are in that kind of trust. And this is a very important area for consultation with a qualified profession. I can see that it would be because it feels a tiny bit over my head. And yet I'm understanding what you're saying. I think I would just need a professional to help walk me through that. So, well, if it's only a tiny bit above your head, you're, you're in good stead because <laughs> it, frankly, it's a tiny bit over the head of many other professionals who don't have special knowledge in this area. So that is an area where you need a specialist. Okay, that's good to know. I will definitely tap into a specialist. What other important decisions should we consider in setting up a special needs trust? Well, first and foremost is selecting a trustee. Mm -hmm. That's the person who has the responsibility to administer all these assets. And this is likely the most important and sometimes the most difficult decision you'll make in setting up a special needs trust. Sure. In selecting, yeah, in, in selecting your trustee, the most important qualifications are loyalty and competency in administering the trust. The trustee is the quarterback of the plan who can hire financial advisors, attorneys, accountants, bookkeepers, social workers, care managers. The trustee can delegate, but they need to oversee everything. Banks and corporate trustees are an option if the trust is large enough. But not every bank trust department will or even should accept a special needs trust. Look for a bank with a special needs experience 
and a willingness to administer a special needs trust. If you use a bank or other corporate trustee, consider adding an individual family member or friend who is acquainted with the beneficiary as a co-trustee or a consultant to the trustee so that you have a blend of financial knowledge with personal care knowledge. I really like that idea. You should also uh, include special needs considerations in all of your state planning documents because the special needs estate plan goes beyond just ensuring that the special needs trust is properly set up. You should also make sure that your other state planning documents like powers of attorney or, or wills or other trusts are set up to take into consideration the special needs trust. For example, your power of attorney should give someone the power to put assets into or fund your special needs trust with your assets and from your will or other trusts that you have in place mm -hmm. so that there will always be flexibility in how much and what type of assets uh, will go into that trust. And these documents should ensure that any distributions that would otherwise go to the person with a disability outright are actually diverted in to the special needs trust. Oh, and that has to do with the fact, I guess you're touching on that because if it goes directly to them, they may actually lose their government benefits. That's correct because uh, these type of government benefits are what we call means tested. Mm -hmm which means that if you have too many resources, you become ineligible for the benefit. Okay. And so it, that's important to consider. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And that's why you, you have also shared sprinkling out funds to them, creating a special needs trust yes. that, that sprinkles them out as opposed to give, giving financial means in one lump sum. Yes, and it's also important as a result that you make others aware that you've created a special needs mm -hmm. trust. And why I say that is, is that you should avoid having the beneficiary receive gifts or bequests or inheritances outright from other family mm -hmm. members. It's advisable to be candid with other family members about the planning that you've done for your disabled family member. And if you plan far in advance and ensure that other family members make similar adjustments to their own planning if they if they plan to leave something for the benefit of your disabled beneficiary. Mm -hmm. You can see to it that that beneficiary does not inherit those assets outright. Okay. If you determine that anyone wants to leave something to the disabled beneficiary, your estate planning attorney should be able to provide language that you can pass on to those family members that will allow them to divert their bequests to the special needs trust rather than directly to the beneficiary. And this can avoid the needs for guardians. It can avoid the loss of eligibility for needed benefits and a lot of other complications. <clears throat>
Well, this is really fabulous. I'm so happy that I am learning as we're chatting. This is, I think this will be very useful for parents. I do have one more question for you. Is there any one caution we should be aware of in providing assets for a family member with special needs? I think the most caution, uh, cautionary advice is do not commingle funds which belong to the person with a disability with those funds that are provided by you or other third parties. These funds should be kept strictly separate from one another. And the reason is that the rules requiring payback to the state for the cost of benefits when a beneficiary dies, if properly managed, will attach only to the funds owned by the disabled beneficiary and not to the assets of the special needs trust. Mm. For example, if the special needs trust owns a home that was used by the beneficiary, when that beneficiary no longer needs that home, it can be used or diverted to other family members rather than have to be sold to pay back the government benefits that they received from the uh, government during this, during the disabled person's lifetime. Mm. And of course that applies to other assets beyond homes too. So uh, the money that is left over after your special needs uh, beneficiary no longer needs it, uh, you may want to redirect to other family members who also have other needs, or maybe even to charities that you feel that are particularly important to you or to that beneficiary rather than just going back to the government coffers. Mm, I love that. I actually do have one more question for you and it's, it's pretty simple, but I'm wondering when we go out and we're looking for an attorney to help us create a special needs trust, what should we be aware of? What should we be looking for? You should be looking for an attorney or a bank trust department uh, that has recognized experience in creating special needs trust. Uh, you can see it often on their websites, but generally speaking, when you make contact with them, just ask them that question. Okay. Do you regularly work with people that have disabilities and create documents and plans for their care? Uh, a good attorney <laughs> and a good trust department will be open and honest with you. And they will make references or referrals to you for people that they are aware of that have those skills. But it is important to determine uh, that they have the special skills necessary because it's a unique area, even within the estate planning community. Not all estate planners are really that conversant with government eligibility benefits and special needs trusts, And the better planners will tell you right up front that they're not and will get you to somebody who oh, is. Oh, good. I'm going to look for someone who is then. Maybe, maybe even my own dad. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you, dad, for joining me today. I really feel that this information that you've shared and taken the time to share with us today will be so beneficial to those that are listening because how we care for our children when we are gone is one of those 
one of those fears that parents raising children with additional needs really carry around with them. So I'm grateful for your time today. Well, you're welcome. And it has been my experience that one of the most important things that we leave when we pass away is a well-considered and careful plan for our assets, for those people we love the most. Thanks again, Dad.